Hey guys, welcome back to Edenic Roundtable, the virtual sessions. I'm Willis, as usual, joined by my partners Rob Lewis and Jamie Del Grosso. Hi guys. Hi. Hi guys. Um, uh, and we're back doing these daily sessions that we're uploading every day, um, just trying to talk about innovation, talk about um, business opportunities, um, and spared on really by what's going on with this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, uh, which is why we're running these sessions virtually, obviously, because we're, we're all sat at home. Uh, today's topic is health, um, which is the big topic. It's all over the news. You, you'd be... Um, You'd be hard to miss it, really, uh, in terms of what's going on with the NHS. And obviously, naturally, there's a struggle, not just in the NHS, but across all healthcare, really, in trying to find solutions not only to deal with the disease, but to deal with um, continuing in everyday life and the things that we've taken for granted for so long in terms of, you know, pharmacies or medical appointments or whatever it might be. Um, so what seems to be really apparent, guys, is that there's there's really like a heightened realisation right now that... Um, health is incredibly important to us and how central it is to our everyday life. I guess it's something we've taken for granted and now it's restricted and we're all at home. Um, we're really starting to notice the struggle of that. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I saw some things today where someone is saying um, they don't remember the last time they actually went out and had a jog or something, but now that we're kind of on lockdown, they've gone out for one every day um, and people all of a sudden being more aware of their, uh, their health and their actions. Uh, obviously, now that we're seeing the worst case scenario and this kind of extreme, um, it kind of, I suppose, brings us to light why we should be looking after our health. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it's kind of akin to like a, a personal health scare, isn't it? On a, on a global scale, it's making health a, a really sharp and focused thing. But where I live, a lot of people walk around the block and, you know, when the weather gets better, you see more people. But um, today, the number of people walking past, going for bike rides, running, with appropriate social distancing, I will I'll add, um, is amazing. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see how this will pan out in the future in terms of will it be something that we, I mean, it's, it's likely that this situation is going to last for months, if not uh, longer. So that could actually have a, an interesting effect on people's health. We're already growing up with a, a generation of younger people who are, are probably more engaged in the health than ever before. And uh, this kind of thing could reinforce that behaviour. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, we've essentially been encouraged and taught pretty much all our lives to go out and get some fresh air um, and, and exercise and eat healthy and all the stuff that comes across. Um, and, you know, for a lot of people take that quite seriously. And, and you know, frankly, a lot of people don't. Uh, I think we can accept around the world. Um, but now you're restricted and you're tied down. I think it's that's that's a good analogy, Rob, where you're sort of saying it's akin to a, a personal health scare, you know, because it is kind of that thing. If somebody says to you, all right, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, Mr. Willis, but now you've got this disease or whatever. All of a sudden you're think, right, well, what do I need to do? I need to get better now. I need to be healthier and fitter and all that kind of stuff. And it is it is like that on a, on a global scale, really. Um, so I guess off the back of this, um, the question will be, how can you encourage community to um, continue their thinking, the mindset that they've got now, which is, uh, well, we need to get outside. We only get it once a day, so we better use it up and get as much exercise as we can or whatever. Um, how do we encourage that? How do we encourage communities to do that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think this whole thing about just getting outside for one, like one, whatever Mr. Johnson said, of you know, get out for one form of exercise for you know an hour or whatever. It, it's kind of like quantified self thing, isn't it? Putting a parameter around it. So, I mean, it's very much like the behavior that we see with people with a Fitbit or some form of activity monitor where they're tracking a, like a function of their activity, like the number of steps taken. So it's kind of it's kind of all feeding that behavior, isn't it? Which, which I think is really interesting. So, like, you know, 
continue, you know, using the elements of gamification and quantified self like Fitbit does is possibly how we could how we could see this in a more um, have more longevity and and a, and a bigger effect on population health moving forward. Yeah, and I think um, one thing that this sort of situation has created is when we talk about health and you know going out and maintaining your health now and the effects that has later on in life. Um, that's obviously a long-term thing and you know a lot of people don't really want to think too much about the long-term thing or you know the two focus on the short term with something like this happening it's kind of condensed that time frame where you know we're constantly hearing about people that have contracted this disease and you know the, the effects it's had on people that do have underlying health issues compared to people that don't um, so I think it's maybe making people more aware that it's not just about the health at that moment but it's about making them more resilient to things in the future as well yeah, that's yeah, a good point. Yeah. I think I think that links onto one of the other topics we want to talk to about today, which is about prevention and preventative health and health maintenance. Because clearly, we've been given a lot of um, advice relevant to the transmission of an infectious disease. In this case, which is about social distancing and washing your hands. And obviously, there are some examples of people not doing that, and you know, people using the tube, for example. But but fundamentally, we're seeing people washing their hands way more frequently than they ever did before. If you go for a walk, you're seeing people walking to the road to maintain two metre distance. So that that's just one element of how the government has successfully managed to um, transmit that as a message. But clearly, that that kind of preventative action pretty much works for every single health, um, you know, health thing, you know, a health condition like you know, metabolic disease is all about physical activity. We have diet. You know, you can you can take these preventative measures in all sorts of aspects of your health. So it's really interesting to see how we could carry that on and encourage people to be more healthy in the future. Yeah, yeah. And and there's definitely, a, a, well, certainly an increased monitoring of this sort of stuff. I mean, I know I've been washing my hands like crazy all the time, you know, to the point that they're sore, you know, um, because I'm almost overcautious of saying, well, they're saying that's what I've got to do. So that's what I've got to do. Now, moving forward, I'm not suggesting that we have to be that extreme our whole lives, but if if in if in any way it encourages more people to just follow those most basic hygiene rules of um uh you know washing your hands and um general social distancing you know if you've got symptoms of any kind of illness or you're feeling ill rob on our video call yesterday you you, you made the point of the best way to get a call is sat in, sat in the doctor's office you know yeah. um yeah. and and, th- and that's an interesting point it's that same thing of um not feeling the need to run straight to the waiting room um and uh you know see the doctor or or go see your neighbor you know we all do it don't we when we've got the sniffles or whatever and you go around to your families and you say well it's just a bit of a cold i'll be all right it'll pass not really thinking of the consequence of that being passed on because you don't think of it as a danger you know that yeah. it, it's something we all suffer with then you get something really unknown and scary come along like covid19 which not mm-hmm. nobody knows anything about and now we're all like, well, we don't want to pass it on because we don't know what it is. So I guess it's changing the mindset, isn't it? It's getting people to think irrelevant of um, what it, whatever's going on. You should always be practicing good hygiene. You should always be considering what the effect is on on your fellow family or neighbor. Um, and and hopefully off the back of this again, th- there might be some enhanced encouragement for, for that to happen. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think there's some really interesting elements of what they're doing in, in terms of this health communication in that. Okay, you know, over the last months, the, the message has been relatively garbled and confusing, but they've, they've managed to translate it into something very, very clear now. So it's about looking after symptoms, which are primarily about fever and cough, and it's looking and taking simple steps, which is stay inside, don't do things that are unnecessary, reduce contacts, and, uh, you know, all of those things are really easy to understand by people. So that, this is obviously in the case of COVID, but you could think of any other health condition and give people a very 
make create a campaign which is very very clear just do these one or two things and that's going to reduce your risk by 80 percent and, and, and allow them to track it in some way and that's the elements of um, changing people's behavior and um, making it easy for people to understand easy for people to see the benefits and hopefully see the results of, of that happening in a reflection of good health yeah i mean a lot of this comes down to information doesn't it? i mean in, in all health when we talk about preventative health it's normally about understanding having information um when we talk about it's two days in a row is interrupted. Yeah. The, <laughs> um, the camera, what can we does. say? Um, when we talk about things like, I mean, you said earlier about, you know, when people have a cold and it's like, oh, it's just the sniffles, I'll be fine. And they don't really maybe just take it for granted because, you know, we do have, um, you know, medicines and things that can help with the symptoms of those. Um, maybe, you know, it is about getting the information out there and just having clear information of what you should do and making sure there's no misunderstanding. Uh, because especially when this, COVID-19 came out, there's so much misinformation um, and, and people not fully understanding kind of the seriousness of it. Um, and I think now having all the technology providers like, you know, Google and Facebook and even YouTube, I just went on, they've, they're all, they've all got banners on there with information on. It's very clear. It's just like one or two points. Um, and I think, you know, for any illness, no matter what it is, for any disease, that clear information and using the tools that are out there, like these huge technology providers, is a great way to make sure that we do take the right actions in the future for any anything else that might come at us. Yeah, yeah. And th th there's a real opportunity here as well, isn't there, um, for tech companies, um, and not just tech companies, but actually all, all companies, um, to, to start developing and thinking differently about what they're putting out. Um, just in terms of that, in terms of messaging, maybe the way that they look after their own employees, the way the workplace works, how much time they're spending together, how much time they're spending apart. Um, and, you know, like the, the, those kind of uh, those tools, maybe developing tools to, um, you know, um, highlight symptoms or highlight good hygiene or whatever. You know, these sound like very basic things, really, but it, it would be a starting point to just to diversify your thinking in terms of um, general well-being of um of the population yeah definitely yeah, yeah. Um, yeah i think I, I think that going back to that clear message if you look at the best the best brands in health and the brands which have very very clear taglines or consumer messages like for example neurofen is about targeted relief of pain Fortral is about the joy of movement certain prescription medicines mean certain things to doctors and they prescribe them for those for those um indications so it's those, those companies that have shown what their medicine does, differentiated from others, with a very clear message that tends to be the ones that have the best, um, you know, the best results and are the most successful. And this is, you know, another case. Yeah. So another big point then that's moved on to uh, that that's definitely highlighted is is the area of self monitoring. You know, so yeah. we've talked about this a little bit before, um, particularly in what's going on in in the use of things like Strava or Fitbit or My Fitness Pal or other similar apps, which is all essentially about looking at how our daily lives, how well we sleep, exercise, eat, weight watch, all that sort of stuff, and that whole gamification of trying to stay well. Um, which is definitely popular. I mean, I think you could argue that most of the population globally has some form of connect connection to this kind of these kind of tools. Um, but are the roles uh, of these tools and new tools coming along, just going back to what we were saying before about general preventative stuff, um, there could be a lot more opportunity there for for, for self management of health. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah okay. I think also there's a, an opportunity for the tech providers and the the wearable providers to 
take these sort of things into account and maybe sort of add to the offering that they've got. So, I mean, pretty much everyone nowadays has a Fitbit or something similar to monitor the health, but that tends to look at health in the sense of, you know, exercise, working out, eating certain things. Um, maybe not so much for, you know, uh, giving indications of, of potential illnesses or, or things like that. Uh, but, you know, with, you know, if, if we were able to monitor temperature and, you know, cross-reference that with a heart rate, there may be something, you know, we may, these devices may be able to give us early warnings to, you know, you may be getting ill or something. So I think yeah. that may be something that could be looked at in the future from those providers uh, with this in mind to to give people information on that as well and not just, you know, the workout routines. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all of the all of these things are laden with sensors that, that you can use to translate all sorts of different inferences, particularly around health. So, for example, if you've got a watch, a smartwatch has a microphone on it, and that is listening to you all the time, that could potentially be used to count how frequently you cough. It's also taking your temperature. So th those are the two biggest um, uh, indicators of COVID-19. So there's instantly a, a, a pathway for, for that particular disease. So I think that's that's all really interesting. I was reading something today about South Korea, and apparently South Korea has had an amazing response to this epidemic because they were already planning since a few years ago after after MERS um, uh, responses to this type of pandem pandemic. And, and fundamentally, what one they, they've used technology for. So for example, when people are self-isolating. Um, people uh, have an app and that app tells the government if you're not self-isolating in the environment, you should be self-isolating in. So I know that's a little bit of a punitive and it sounds like a bit of an invasion of privacy to us, but, but fundamentally showing how that technology in that phone can translate um, an endpoint that's relevant to COVID. And also in China, I think they're allowing, one of the reasons they've been able to allow um, more freedom of movement is that they now know um, people have an app which gives them a, a, basically a traffic light system of whether they're infected or not and whether they're safe to move around or not. So again, a good, another good example of um, creating freedom of movement using technology that we're all carrying around with us. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. We, we were talking about uh, South Korea the other day and saying that their use of technology, um, I mean, they, they were really heavy on the use of technology with dealing with this. And it's also had a huge effect uh, on them. I think one of the things they did as well is they made sure that every time there was a case confirmed, um, they kind of had like a, a an app which is like a map system and you could yeah. see where all these hotspots were so people knew to avoid those areas um so you know just just on a basic level of saying well we'll get people to stay away from an area where there may be you know that that infection may sort of um, that disease may be carried uh, has also had a huge effect on, on reducing the numbers quickly in that population yeah, yeah. I mean, there's de there's definitely some real opportunity, isn't there, in self-monitoring? And, and we often just talk about kind of the counting of the steps and all that kind of stuff, which is all definitely really relevant. And again, that wider message of generally looking after your own health, which I think is going to be spared on by off the back of something like this. And hopefully people don't just forget when, you know, when this pandemic passes. And I think some work needs to be done in that area to encourage encourage that and that comes down to schools employers government etc etc but a couple of key points that i think come out for me are there's a lot of talk right now about pressuring the healthcare system uh, and i'm not just talking about covid19 but just general things about going to see a doctor a pharmacist or whatever it might be and of course monitoring yourself is going to help things along immediately because you can diagnose things a lot quicker by understanding how often you're sleeping 
um, the sort of thing you're eating, how much exercise you're generally doing, what your heart rate's usually like when you're resting, all that information fed to the GP or whatever health professional you're seeing immediately speeds up that process of trying to establish, um, you know, likely causes. So, I mean, we have to do our bit to kind of provide that information and we've got the tools to do that, you know, um, so that, that's one way. The, the other side of it is um, looking at um, things like getting your genome mapped and stuff like that. If we go back to things like 23andMe and we start getting into this very much like predictive health. I mean, mm-hmm. I wonder if this should become, should this become the norm for the population? I mean, I don't know if it, if it should be a, a rule forced upon or not, but by, by having that predictive information, surely the, the, the strain on any health system is drastically reduced. Yeah, I think, I mean, we, we, as we talked about before, we've all read the NHS long-term plan for the UK and, and our health minister is very, very keen on the idea of, of how genomics can help people predict and manage their future health, which is, uh, scientifically, is a very, very valid thing to say. I mean, obviously, Pete, there are concerns around um, privacy and that's highly, highly sensitive. I mean, data doesn't get more sensitive than the genetic code, but I mean, clearly there are ways of... Um, of handling this data in a sensitive way so it's only used appropriately. So I, I certainly think it's the future. I mean, the, obviously, there are in your DNA, there are probably um, nucleic acid sequences that predict your susceptibility to certain types of infection that could be relevant to this current issue. We know that the microbiome is another issue um, that, that relevant and affects our health. So the, the bacteria that live on us and in us, in us especially in our gut, they, they have a massive effect on our immunity and our ability to deal with these kind of diseases and our immune response to them. So, I mean, that science is not particularly well understood today, but as, it, as that progresses, all of this stuff builds a really, really powerful picture of our health that can all be assimilated in the digital means somehow. Um, so, yeah, I think the future is really interesting about where all of this goes, not just for infectious disease, but all health conditions. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm a huge fan of the idea of uh, have people having you know the whole genome mapping thing and mm. using that alongside uh, wearables and health trackers. Uh, and I think it presents a huge opportunity not just for people to understand the health better, but uh, like you said, Wed, it's for you know for the healthcare industry and for the NHS having that information already is is a great way to reduce that burden a little bit and get that information quicker. Yeah. Exactly. I think making this stuff more accessible and more obvious as well. Again, it goes back to messaging, doesn't it? A lot of this comes down to messaging, um, you know, because a lot of people just don't know about the, the whole thing of mapping your genome, even through the TV adverts of some companies that are doing it or whatever. It's still quite limited information to the general public. Um, so, again, there's more opportunity there for businesses to offer solutions in there, isn't they, in between saying, you know, because you talk about privacy or protecting your data, and it is a very sensitive thing. The health is probably the most sensitive thing you can have. Um, but, you know, actively we're sharing our data on every kind of platform all the time. And sometimes it's for entertainment. Sometimes it's, for you know, buying stuff or whatever it might be. Um, yet health seems to have this kind of hidden little dark corner, doesn't it, that we don't really want to discuss it because it's so personal or whatever. Um, Yet monitoring that and um, having the correct data and information on that is probably the best thing that we could possibly be doing, not only for our own health and our own lifestyles and families, but for the system that's looking after us. Yeah. Uh, I think one thing, I I I know we've seen this as well, and it's kind of a, a challenge for the healthcare industry, is that messaging, it's that clear messaging um, when information does become available for things like this, um, there seems to be a tendency to um, focus so much on the science behind it that the clear messaging to the people that are seeing it, that just want to know 
what it is and, and what they should do is sometimes missing. Um, so, I mean, we talk about genomes and things, but if we speak to different people on the street, do they understand the benefits of that, why they should do that? Um, and, you know, I think getting that clear information across, almost dropping the science to some degree and literally just letting people understand why this can help them and what they can do to engage with it um, is probably the, the best thing that some of these healthcare companies and, and providers can do at the moment. Yeah. And, now, and now's the time to research it, isn't it? I mean, we said yesterday on our cast yesterday that, you know, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of free time going on right now, you know, and this is the time to start looking at barriers and and, uh, and overcoming those barriers and solutions. Right mm-hmm. now, it's all over the news. We can see that there's problems. We can see that there's strain in the world. So what can we do to tackle it? What I do know is that in the UK, for anyone listening abroad, but certainly in the UK, um, the government are offering money and grants and funds for people to come up with solutions, they're, they're screaming out for it, saying, look, you know, how can you help us? How can you help people that are isolated at home? How can you help people monitor their health? How can you reduce the pressure on the reliance on us professionals having to deal with the problem as opposed to you preventing the problem? Um, and so that's just a green light, I think, you know, for for anyone out there to to, to turn the hand to um, to developing some, some new ideas, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think what's really interesting about this is the um, urgency of it as well. So... I know like Boris, Boris Johnson sort of um, has been this kind of like his Churchillian moments and come up with some cool sound bites and talk in a statesman-like manner. Um, but clearly there is a parallel between what happened in the Second World War in this country and what's happening now with like unprecedented numbers of people volunteering to help people out, all that kind of stuff. But but fundamentally what they're trying to do is fast track innovation to the market. And, you know, we've seen, um, we've seen the MHRA, who is a regulatory body in the UK, relaxing the their route to getting products that are needed for this COVID emergency to the market without all of those um, levels of stringency that are normally required. Um, so they're, they're doing everything they can to fast track it. They're giving it to companies like Dyson have, have been announced as being making um, as, as, as making uh, 10,000 ventilators or whatever it is. So they're, they're breaking down some of those barriers. And I think that's really interesting in a response to a crisis all of this stuff can suddenly be lifted and we can people people can act in an agile manner. So how can we take some of that energy and urgency and bring it to our everyday business? So, you know, it's really hard to do projects quickly in large organizations because they don't mm. tend to necessarily act with much of a sense of urgency. Um, so how, I, I'd love to see how we can try, how we can carry that energy moving forward and into yeah. our everyday lives um, in business delivering projects when all of this is over and done with, because that would be a phenomenal yeah. thing to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, well, it leads on nicely to the next topic, which is um, probably quite prominent for this sector, which is pharma and consumer health. Uh, Rob, you've been in this industry 30 years, so you you know it well, particularly in the in the big the uh, the big corporations and how they work. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's it, it's fair to say and we can be quite frank in saying that uh, it takes a long time to develop anything pretty much in terms of um the, the pharma industry because there's so much yeah. regulation and um, hoo-ha going around and it maybe takes years to get things to, to market yeah. but now's the, now's definitely the time to uh, for them to be changing isn't it in the way that they work um, yeah. not not only in in what what they're producing in terms of looking at more digital preventative things as opposed to cures but two how quickly they're getting stuff out and how, how much riskier they are in their workflow. Is that, is that yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, we're developing new medicines and drugs. They're, they're obviously very stringent and, and very necessary safety things that we have to go through to show that the product is both safe and that it works. And, you know, we can never, you can't circumvent that procedure in reality because you've got to 
you've got to show you can't just bring out medicine and we know it's not safe. So, and that's why the vaccines are taking, you know, 12 to 18 months to come onto the market. But what you said, Wayne, is let's think about other ways as well of augmenting what we do today. So whether we're a, cl- whether we're a clinician or a doctor or a, a, um, a healthcare worker or a pharmaceutical company, we tend to think about the way we do things today. So pharma companies should be thinking about how they can impact health without necessarily bringing out that vaccine, you know, do things before the, obviously do, do deliver the vaccine, but also do other things in, along the way to control um, this particular um, infection, like the examples we talked about in South Korea and China, et cetera. So it's a case of adapting your approach and, you know, rather than just sticking to the tried and tested, let's make a medicine, make loads of money under pattern, and then it becomes generic. That's a 20 year cycle. We obviously we can't, that, that's no good to anyone. So we need to have that agile way of thinking. It, to me, it's all about delivering different types of solutions that are appropriate to whatever the health problem is. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose companies like that have to be um, more open and, and expose themselves a little bit more to, I guess, what's going on in the wider society, in the tech world, but in the cultural world, I mean, across everything, really, you know, they're, they're very traditionally not just pharma, but like lots of large organizations are um, tr- very traditionally siloed, aren't they? And we, we experience this a lot when we work with these companies. And, you know, for the most part, they're very, they openly admit that they say, listen, you know, this is just the structure it is. We're trying to change it. We're aware that there's a lot of disruptive activity going on in the globe. And, you know, we realize that we're not at the table. We're not part of the party. So we want to change that. But with that mentality, that, that change, you, you know, you have to make some real active steps, don't you? Take some real active steps to do that. Um, and I, I'm just thinking of like um, project teams um, and the way that they're developing and ideating and, and things like that. They, they need to be doing things very, uh, definitely much more agile and in very quick cycles, certainly, or sprints, as, as, as we use quite a lot, you know, just trying and testing things rather than getting all the way to the end point and then finding it's wrong or it doesn't work. They should, you know, yeah, they mean, should be doing it in yeah. segments. Yeah, I mean, as you said, look, we've worked work with a lot of companies and we know. We know some of the cool things you can do to, to bring some of that culture to your organization. Uh, I wouldn't underestimate the difficulty of changing an organization that's been around for 100 years, um, yeah. you know, lots of structure, et cetera. But there are ways of doing it. And, and we will see in the next five, well, less than five years, the companies who can adapt and be more agile and take some of the magic from startups and some of the passion um, of inventors and, and innovators and bring that into their organizations. And those are the guys who who will start to accelerate and uh, pull away from the, the pack of their competitors. Um, but it's not an easy, it's not an easy journey, um, but it just requires a little bit of thinking differently. And a bit, but it's fundamentally, it's about the culture of organisation. Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of that is uh, having a culture that does allow for risk and potentially failure and being okay with that and you know being able to adapt and move on from it. Uh, I mean, when we, when we speak to our clients, I think pretty much everyone does say, you know, we want to innovate, we know we need to innovate. Uh, and then when we ask, okay, so what are you doing to innovate? The strategy is just, well, we need to innovate. That's as far as we've got, you know, um, because I think there's that barricade, which is the fear of, but if we don't do it in the way we've always done it and it doesn't work, then, you know, are people going to be unhappy with me? Is it going to affect my role? Um, so I think it's getting people to, you know, like I say, think differently, but also, be open-minded to try many different things and uh, be a little bit more risky in what they're what they're trying to do. 
I think l- l- lower the standards a bit as well. I mean, not in medicine, <laughs> certainly not. But I mean, lower. In, in, well, sounds really wrong now. But, I mean, lower the standards in in terms of um, don't expect like such a clinical, high grade, um, you know, product medical thing. That you know, lower the science a bit. You know, we saw that. Um, Oh, was it a documentary or whatever I saw the other week? Well, it was talking about doctors, and they were saying like if medical schools would just lower the the entry level a little bit, you'd probably <laughs> find you'd get a lot more, but you'd get better doctors in there because obviously yeah. it's so niched because they they only take in this very high caliber based on grades and structure and what they did in their exam that one day at that one time. And actually, um, if they would just open the web a little, open the net a little bit, and let a few more get in there. Um, that would mix it up a bit. And the same goes for companies, doesn't it? If they were to work, collaborate more with either tech companies or non-traditional uh, people within their sector, they would find that new ideas would come through and they would immediately be working quite differently. Yeah, exactly. I, I think your, your thing about lowering your standards, that there is a, there's a thing about that in the sense of how do you let ideas progress? Because what tends to happen in most organisations is they want every I dotted and every T crossed before yeah. you even start the project. And, that, and that, that is obviously a massive barrier to innovation, particularly if you're trying to do something that's quite innovative, because by definition, you're not going to have the I's crossed and the T's, the, the, the I's dotted and the T's crossed. Yeah, there you go. I'm demonstrating it myself. I can't even talk. Um, you know, so if you give people the freedom and autonomy to be able to progress and experiment and fail and learn, then that's that's obviously the ideal scenario. Obviously, it's all a balance. You need, to, you need your bankers and your low-risk projects to go through, uh, but you need to blend that up with some other stuff as well. And, uh, and that's the whole massive 20 hour podcast in itself yeah sure, sure, sure. <laughs> no but i i think really like what you're saying is it um it basically it's, it's understanding of success and what success looks like to you and if success is always the same thing and people always see it as the same thing um then that's going to stop a lot of projects happening before they even get going um when really the, the success should be measured in various things there should be different levels of success for the projects you're running and, and what it is that you're looking to do uh, from something small and, and something that you know is, is a small change but could have a positive impact on someone to these big radical things um, yeah. and I think maybe it's being a little bit more open to what you see as a win for your organisation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. And, I, and I think that as we talk about the good things that might come out of this and um, an acceptance of doing things a little bit differently in the future could be a really good thing. We've already seen a Conservative government effectively acting like a socialist government by providing a safety net for pretty much everyone in this country. Now, you know, I have to say credit to the current government for doing that because it's, it's actually quite surprising. But, you know, we're seeing them change and adapt their um, natural um, position politically to, to to meet the current situation. And that's really refreshing to see if that can be done at the highest level in the in, the, in, in, in terms of the, the hierarchy of the, this, this country, then why can't we do it everywhere else? Yeah, yeah. And just going back to uh, back to the health point, really, I mean, you, Rob, you touched upon it a little bit. We're referencing uh, Dyson and, and various other companies. But um, this is happening a lot. These are manufacturing companies. And I guess this is a message to manufacturers out there or, or supply chain guys or people that are really struggling with what's going on right now in terms of how they continue to exist. You know, the ability to change um, – 
your offer and think differently about what you can possibly do utilizing the tools and the skill sets that you have in your organization is there. You've just got to allow yourself to do it. And as we've touched upon already in here, um, we often don't do that because we're worried about affecting the bottom line or affecting what we're doing. But in Mm. times like this, um, you know, again, there's an opportunity here because you're already disrupted. So the situation has happened and you're in that position. And now you're already, again, having to think differently about, how do we get out of this? How do we survive? How do we keep ticking when this all passes by? Um, but, you know, uh, not to reference particularly on on Dyson, but I mean, if you can get somebody who makes vacuum cleaners to be making ventilators um, or and there's probably a hundred other examples of that, um, then it, it shows that it's possible. Um, and, and I think that having that thought process now, because you need to, but actually moving forward at the end of this is really going to achieve that, increase your, your opportunity to um uh, to grow and exist and be disruptive in your market and, and enter new markets. Um, and, uh, you know, going back to the point of healthcare, that's probably the most prominent topic topic right now. So what can you do in your team with your equipment and your knowledge to help the situation? And we all know what the situations are. People are stranded in the houses. People can't get to work. People can't get food. I mean, everything you see on the news every day should be sparking a challenge. How would we address that in our organization? Why don't you try it? Why don't you get a team meeting with you know a few of your your, your employees on a, a Skype call or something similar and say, guys, in our organization, how would, how would we address this? What could we do using what we've got? Just as a little test, as a bit of creative thinking, um, we'll, we'll certainly start releasing some information about this, about specific ways you can do this and how you can run sprints. And we're really looking forward to do that. But just as, as a little idea for you, why don't you look at that? Because um, the health service, the health industry needs uh, needs help right now. So what can you do to, um, to what can you offer to that? Um, on a, a just coming to a close, really, but on, on a quite positive note, the volunteer system um, is, is just amazing. I think, you know, the NHS, we said yesterday, the NHS was calling out for a quarter of a million people to help them out and, um, and in various different areas. And as of recording this now we're at something for like 400,000 I think I, I saw in the last sort of 20 minutes on the news that's amazing that's 400,000 people in the country coming along and saying what can we do how can we help how can we support question is again going back to that community point what happens after COVID-19 and how do you keep that 14 uh, that 400,000 people saying what can we do to help how can we work together how can we look after each other um, and there's an opportunity there for business do you think yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Set that on pop. Yeah, keep that going. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, the the we've mentioned it in the last uh, one of these we did, and even in our conversations with each other. But uh, the community effort when this is when this kind of thing is going on has been absolutely amazing from what I've seen. Um, and I think for any business, it doesn't matter what size you are, what kind of business you're in, um, and just for individuals as well that community effort of working together and, and sort of helping each other through more difficult times is obviously something that if we can carry that on, that only benefits everybody. Um, so, yeah, I, it would be such a shame if we got through this and everyone kind of just went back to their bubbles and just did their own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I mean, on, on a health front, really, I mean, I think the points are quite clear. I mean, as, as individuals, we, we've certainly got a responsibility to be um, – 
monitoring ourselves and looking after ourselves and utilizing the tools that are out there organizations have certainly got a responsibility to try and contribute to that in some way get the message out make it stronger develop new ideas definitely collaborate there's so much opportunity to collaborate between tech between health between industry to find out new solutions to manage our overall health and that's in physical and mental health and there's there's loads of examples of that going about um and on the wider level i think you know if if if, every, if all organizations are open to the idea of, of trying to just think a little bit differently, lower the risk, uh, sorry, higher the risk a little bit and try some new things, they might find that there's real opportunity in there. And, and, and health, the health market is definitely one one key area to, to look at. So, um, yeah, it'd be really good moving forward. All right, guys. Um, I'll close up there. Hopefully there's some nice information in there. As I say, we're going to be lo- uploading these every day. And as, as we do, we'll get into some more of the actual specifics of what you can do to challenge um, or take on some of these challenges. Um, but again, uh, as we said yesterday, if you're interested in being part of this, we, we'd really like to hear from you, um, whatever sector you're in and whatever business type of business you've got. You know, we'd love to hear what you're doing or ideas that you've got. Um, and if you want to come and be on a, a video cast like this and talk and get involved, then you're very welcome. Just comment in the comments below and, and, and come through. Um, until next time, we'll uh, we'll see you for the next video. All right, guys. Take care. Cheers, guys. Thank bye, you. Bye, bye, bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Willis Talks. If you enjoyed that, be sure to subscribe to the Willis Talks podcast and share on your social media channels. And you can also find me across all the social media channels at Willis Talks. Until next time, see ya.